Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service. I'm Josh Lowe. And I'm Meryn Geddes. And each week we look at the big stories from the US and what they mean for the rest of the world. So this week we're looking at North Korea, that that shadowy state um, that's always associated with very fantastical rumours and crazy stories. But this story that's just come out, right, Josh, seems to actually be true, that um, Kim Jong-un's half-brother has just been murdered in Malaysia. Yeah, uh, Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea's brother, was murdered, Kim Jong-nam, the guy's name is. um, And there's all kinds of as yet unproven but frankly terrifying potential facts around it, such as uh, Malaysia suspects the North Korea in state of being involved. They suspect uh, a nerve agent called VX of being used, although that's as yet unproven. Um, but whatever it is that uh, turns out to exactly have happened, um, it kind of reminds us that North Korea is not just a sort of joke rogue state. They are actually a kind of quite uh, important and potentially terrifying global power. And also, of course, today we've had uh, these missile tests aimed off the coast of Japan, which again reminds us uh, that there's all sorts of things here to be paying attention to. Well, that's the thing. The murder of Kim Jong-nam, which has captivated headlines, we'll never know, at least for a while, who was behind it. But the missiles, no one can deny, they are coming from North Korea. And they show that this is a country with real um, defense capability. And that's worrying not just for uh, North Korea's neighbors, but also for the US, which, you know, has long stressed that North Korea is a state to be afraid of. And with relations between the US and China kind of lying in tatters since the election of Donald Trump. Um, You've got the two countries in the world that could potentially do something about uh, North Korea um, at each other's throats, maybe not necessarily coordinating on this issue. Um, So anyway, as you can tell, me and Mirren are uh, fascinated to hear more about exactly what is going on here. Um, And we thought we'd bring in a couple of people who can tell us. So we're just going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Christina Variali. I'm a research analyst at RUSI, the Royal United Services Institute for Defence and Security Studies, uh, working on a variety of nuclear and non-proliferation issues. Hi, I'm Ellie Ross. I am the Asia reporter at Newsweek, and I cover the whole of Asia and, at the moment, North Korea. Okay, well, let's get right into it. I mean, I think the story that, that's dominating headlines and everyone's talking about is this murder of Kim Jong-nam, so um, Kim Jong-un's half-brother in Malaysia. It's a crazy story. And just before the podcast, you know, we were talking about it, that it's not as clear-cut as we think, that there's still a lot of questions about this murder. So maybe we can sort of dive into that and discuss that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from what I've been reading about it, there's still so many question marks over the case, whether that's um, from who's behind the assassination to whether it was actually VX that's been used. Um, 
still so many unknowns. And I think it's one of those stories that's going to keep unfolding over, the, if not the next few months, maybe years. I think the thing we have to look at is why would anyone want to kill Kim Jong-nam and who? These are the big questions. As you say, it's going to go on probably for years because North Korea is so secretive. But once we start to look at the evidence um, that's in front of us, we have to look at where the evidence has come from. It's come, most of it has come from South Korea, which is not uh, always, um, it has an agenda. So we have to be very careful with whose intelligence we're using when we're trying to understand who, who was responsible for the murder. So to kind of put it bluntly, then, we can't be sure that North Korea was in any way involved in this. I think there's, uh, it's interesting to look at why. And I think one of the things we have to look at first is the bloodlines and how important the idea of dynasty is in North Korean history. So there, the, the Songbun idea is that whoever is closest to political leaders in North Korea, so whoever's closest to um, the great leader, uh, they are the most important family. Uh, Kim Jong-nam was, his blood was the, the strongest because he's a direct descendant of Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un's father. Uh, so it, 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 his blood is, is very pure, uh, whereas Kim, Kim jong uh, Un's blood is possibly impure because his mother was believed to be a Korean Japanese, um, had Korean Japanese blood. So there are reasons why he might have felt um, a little uncertain about his half brother, who he apparently only met once at a funeral. Um, but there's nothing yet to, to point towards the fact that he would have knocked this guy off. I think it's also really interesting that um, a lot of the stories suggest that China would have preferred Kim Jong nam as, as the head of the regime as well. Um, partly because he was um, seemed to be a little bit more uh, restrained than Kim Jong-un, um, maybe a little bit more mature in his approach to politics. And I think that's also a really interesting um, dynamic to, to that as well. But I thought the whole thing with Kim Jong-nam was he's living outside, obviously, of North Korea. He was living a very hedonistic lifestyle. And I, I thought the feeling was that even though, as Ellie says, he was the person who was more likely to take over uh, from Kim Jong-il, that he wasn't really suited to it because he was living too much of a playboy lifestyle. And I read um, as well that there is a defector who is living somewhere in the West who was trying to encourage Kim Jong-nam to be sort of the voice of the uh, exiled government, if you like, to sort of set himself up as opposition to his half-brother. And that was posited as a reason why Kim Jong-un might have had him killed. When his uh, son Han Sol, uh, Kim jong Nam's son, Han Sol, uh, did an interview, age 22, uh, with a Finnish um, reporter. He categorically said, my father has no interest in politics and he does not want to be leader. I think that's the thing we have to look at. China may have felt that Zhang Nam was more appropriate for the leadership, but it's not China's decision, ultimately. Um, they are an ally of North Korea and perhaps they were positioning him to take over, but it's it's... His son said that's not what he wanted. They were living in Macau, but he wasn't... It, he wasn't. Uh, he was a North Korean citizen. He hadn't defected. Um, he had round-the-clock uh, security from China, apparently. So he definitely was protected. And he said himself that I feel that Macau is a lot freer, um, and he can really, he really did prefer living in Macau. But there is nothing to suggest he wanted to take over. And so, whether whatever we find out about North Korea's involvement or lack of involvement in this, there's also now been this other story um, uh, today about a, another set of North Korean missile tests. Um, uh, this time targeted sort of near Japan. The, the country seems to be kind of constantly in the headlines at the moment. And I'm just wondering whether there's an extent to which, um, maybe in the security community or whatever, people didn't underestimate North Korea so much. But but I, I personally feel like I'm kind of having constant reminders of how much of a threat they might pose. And I feel like maybe I haven't uh, been sort of led to take them seriously enough. I mean, do you think that we are being reminded of how much of a threat they are? And are they kind of resurgent at the moment? 
Absolutely. And I think that is um, part of the, the regime's purpose at the moment as well with, with these continuous tests. And we saw that throughout last year with over 20 missile tests, two nuclear tests. Um, and I think we're probably on the same again for 2017, unfortunately. It's going to be one of those years that you never know what's going to happen with North Korea until the morning you wake up. Um, but I think it depends on how you're looking at it as well. I think in the UK, it's a threat, but not a direct threat to the UK homeland. Um, when we looked at debating our um, the renewal of our nuclear deterrent last summer, and a couple of MPs cited North Korea's programme as a reason we should keep our deterrent, the regime came out actively and said afterwards, we really essentially don't care about the UK. We're not going to target you. Um, you're not. You're not on our list. Um, Which is kind of like kind of remarkable. How do they? Why do they care about us so little? They they seem to be annoyed about everyone usually. I'm not sure. I'm not sure to what extent I agree with that. Actually, they they have a very um, quite a short list of people they would like to target. Primarily the US being the, the top of that list. Um, and I think that's understandable. I'm not going to say I'm sympathising with the regime at all here, but if you've been placed on an axis of evil um, with two other countries that the US have then gone in and invaded and you're the last country in that trio that's kind of still is the, the regime that you picked it to be got these um, huge military drills on your border with you know in partnership with the South Koreans why wouldn't you feel the need to protect yourself well also I think it's worth remembering the Korean War right I mean someone described it as the nastiest little war in history where I'm happy to be corrected but surely North Korea still bears a lot of resentment and a lot of scars from from that war I mean America played a huge role in that yeah absolutely um it and I think one of the the important things to acknowledge as well in terms of um, how we're dealing with the the nuclear missile problem in North Korea is that that war hasn't officially ended um there was no there's no armistice, there's no kind of concluding treaty to that. And that's one of the major things that North Korea always call for um, when they're kind of around the table discussing how we can, you know, what we're negotiating, what they're willing to give on, what we're willing to give on. Um, that's something that's just kind of a key sticking point. So yeah, it's a really good thing to bring up. So have we made some a terrible mistake, basically, in dismissing and ignoring North Korea as this crackpot, and I'm using that in, in commas, crackpot little country that doesn't have um, any capabilities when it seems like it kind of does? I think North Korea has, has played its hand very well. It's a dictatorship and Kim Jong-un is following the dictator's rule book to a T. I mean, he is confusing the opposition. He's, he's a brilliant, uh, I mean, I, I have no sympathy for North Korea, obviously, but he's a brilliant tactician and he is, um, he's treating his, his subjects terribly. He's oppressing them. He's, cens- he's censoring media. Um, all of these things are, are perfect if you want to um, create a dictatorship. And in terms of in his international relations, I mean, like you say, he is, uh, he's always been seen as a, inverted commas, a crackpot country. But actually, he, he has one goal, I think, and it's impossible to know really what his goals are because he doesn't speak very freely about them. But he wants to unite South and North Korea and with Pyongyang as a capital. And if we bear that in mind... That is his goal. If you look at the uh, nuclear weapons, I mean, you can say they're a deterrent, but he also wants to intimidate um, South Korea to the extent that they just capitulate and say, fine, we will rejoin. And that would be his ideal, with him as the leader, with Pyongyang as the capital, with absolutely no interference from any other countries. That's why his list is so short, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it's, it's also really interesting that that's also a, a really big argument against the approach Obama took over the past eight years to North Korea. Um, he had this policy of strategic patience, which is basically sitting back and sanctioning North Korea and um, 
every time you know they test or or launch a satellite or whatever they're doing um to come out and strongly condemn what their their actions are um that's great and i i don't feel now we're in a position to be able to move away from whether you know that kind of rhetoric or sanctions imposing uh, imposing sanctions against north korea but that's not enough um and i don't i think somewhere along the line we we really misunderstood that because north korea are incredibly skilled at evading sanctions and illicit trade and using the black market um which is where we've probably gone wrong in dealing with them. So I want to play uh, this clip from uh, former, oh, I hate saying it, former U.S. President Barack Obama um, about North Korea. These launches are provocative. They're a violation of North Korea's obligations uh, internationally. Uh, Its nuclear and missile programs are a threat to not only the ROK, but to Japan, uh, other allies in the region, partners in the region, and to the United States. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So that clicking, I should say, in the background, uh, uh, cameras, in case you wondered what that noise was. <laughs> um, but let, we'll talk about the threats of the U.S. in a minute. But should, should the immediate neighbors be worried? Is there any risk of North Korea actually sending missiles into Japan or South Korea or anywhere else nearby? I think the, the really big question with North Korea still, as we see their technical developments progress, is intent. Um, and I think one of the things that we always miss in conversations like this, and it's kind of come up a little bit here today, is that North Korea and Kim Jong-un, they're not necessarily irrational as as we see them. They, they might necessarily have the same rationality Western countries have, uh, but they're not going to launch an attack for the sake of it. They're going to do it because they feel threatened or in reaction to another event or an incident. Um, and I think that's what's key to remember, especially for, for regional partners and neighbours. Do you think they've kind of cultivated an image uh, around the world of being slightly sort of irrational um, in order to allow them to pursue their kind of regional goals more uninterrupted? I think one of the things that we have to remember is pretty much every 
every person in the North Korean government was educated abroad or sends their children abroad. And we, I mean, Kim Jong-un was in Switzerland and he liked basketball. He liked uh, video games. He was a normal Actually, he wasn't described as a normal child at all. He was seen as quite <laughs> strange at school by his former classmates. But he had normal hobbies. So I think that's what we have to bear in mind. Is the It's always seen as a very enclosed uh, country. But I do I think, as with most dictatorships, that really does only apply to the, the vast majority of people. The elite do have access to internet. The, the students in elite the universities do have access to internet and they can see what the world's saying about them. And I think that's what we have to bear in mind when we look at uh, how they're regarded. They do, they know how they're regarded. So yes, I, I agree with you. I think they have cultivated this image intentionally. And, and so in terms of specific threats then to the region, where, where should be most worried? What's, what, 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 what are the kind of key flashpoints coming up and what is the level of North Korea's arsenal at the moment? So that's a really, really interesting question. Um, I think in terms of regional concerns, South Korea have a right to be worried, um, primarily because of their alliance with the US and at the moment they are conducting um, Fall Eagle, which is a huge military exercise right on the border. Um, and I don't think it's absurd for North Korea to assume that some of that practice is for a, an invasion or um, a scenario where you know, you're targeting specific areas in North Korea. That's the whole purpose of, of these exercises, primarily to um, build operational um, to build operational partnerships and to kind of develop how the, the two armies work together, but also to play out these scenarios that they're, that they're thinking of. And in terms of the kind of level of their arsenal then, like what, what we're talking about the nuclear threat from North Korea, but we're, that's quite a glib phrase. I mean, what, what actually is the threat? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is something that we are slowly becoming more and more familiar with um, as they're releasing more images, um, conducting more tests. I think now we're at a stage where we can no longer... Um, fall down on the side of the fence that North Korea aren't able to mount a warhead onto a missile. I think that would be naive. Whether in, in practice where they are at, it's not going to be that far away until they actually ca- can do that. Um, their missile ranges are increasing. Their um, missile capabilities are developing. For example, in February, we saw their solid fuel missile, which is something we weren't even sure they had, didn't even know they had uh, in, until the launch. Um we saw about this time last year an image come out of what was assumed to be a mock-up of a warhead. Um, again, difficult to independently verify outside of North Korea, but we're now at a point where we should be assuming the next test could be an ICBM. I think the other thing we need to um, consider is actually range isn't all that important anymore when you look at submarine missiles. Um, missiles that can be launched on, on the back of a submarine because theoretically um, North Korea could send... A sub, a sub to the west coast of the US and launch an attack. But uh, as you've said, it, there is they are not warmongers. They are, I, I believe they are defensive and um, an aggressor to an extent um, to show that they are a, a real threat because ultimately they know that if they are seen as a threat, what happens to threats to the US? They get absolutely decimated. So they don't want to be seen as a threat at all. But I think really quickly, it's it's important to acknowledge that they're, we're not 100% sure about what that submarine capability is going to look like. Um, it's likely to be diesel rather than nuclear powered, which means it's going to be incredibly noisy. Um, there's a very small corridor where it can enter international oceans, um, which means they're going to be quite vulnerable to detection. Um, and it'd be, I mean, we should applaud them if they managed to get a submarine all the way from North Korea to America to, to launch a missile, which would be, I'm not going to say impossible for them, but I think that would be a 
a development that maybe they're not quite there yet. I mean, that's interesting as well, because America has always been terrified, it seems, by North Korea, whether it's that deeply racist Team America film or the interview or, I mean... I'd actually forgotten how, like, I hadn't watched that Team America film since I was about 13. And then we were looking up clips for this episode. And I listened to it again. I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) Cannot put that on. But but when um, then President Obama met with then not President Donald Trump to, to have their sort of handover meeting, he said that North Korea was their biggest security concern. So given what you guys have just said, I mean, does that mean that America doesn't really need to be worried that at the end of the day a loud slow-moving submarine is probably not going to show up on the coast ready to obliterate them that's a very good point it's not probably going to be a submarine that's coming their way uh, but an intercontinental ballistic missile absolutely is something that's right around the corner and just because um, we don't necessarily think North Korea would launch that willy-nilly off the cuff it's something then that that puts continental US in range and that's something that changes the dynamic slightly I think I think the timeline for that was maybe 2020, I read this morning. Um, the yeah, so it depends on who you're reading. Um, from maybe the beginning of last year, it was anything between 2020 to 2025. Um, personally, I, I think we're likely to see that before 2020. At the, at the pace that the missile development is going at the moment, um, hopefully I'm proven wrong and something changes before we get to a, a North Korea with an ICBM, but... Who knows? And how has North Korea uh, developed such uh, sophisticated weaponry? Because for a state that's supposedly quite insular, and certainly one where the US is not going to be giving it any nuclear information, it seems to be doing very well. So does it just have brilliant scientists or is someone helping it out? A little bit of both. Um, Up until recently, uh, North Korea were sending their scientists to, for example, Russia um, on what was deemed space exploration programs, for example, to learn about missile development. I mean, it's not um, explicitly painted in that way, but it's the same technology. Um, so there were places that North Korean scientists could could go and learn. Um, and as you mentioned as well, a lot of them were educated in the West and have done degrees in, in science and technology and those kind of things. In terms of um, kind of acquiring components and being able to get the materials necessary for, for these developments... They're incredibly skilled, like I mentioned earlier, evading sanctions and and utilising the black market. To some extent, with the help of the Chinese infrastructure, whether that's financial or otherwise. Um, But there are are many mechanisms which North Korea are are using and using very well. You know, they're kind of a, if you ever want to learn how to smuggle something or buy something illicitly, they're the place you go to. This morning, there was also some news that uh, I I can't remember how much... um, money that it was making but a an arms dealership was unearthed in malaysia run by north korea selling military supplies i mean how on earth does that happen and evade un sanctions again as i was saying before not a north korea supporter but that is smart seems like there's a lot of latent admiration for (laughs) north korea in this room i guess we we, we've talked there about the us is one kind of superpower that can to some extent sort of keep an eye on north korea but the real power that can serve as a counterweight to it is, is China, right, if I if I understand this correctly. Um, and one thing that kind of strikes me is that given that US-China relations are at a particular low at the moment with Donald Trump, um, given that uh, that sort of axis is quite unpredictable, um, is that going to be a problem? Is China still going to be able to sort of curtail North Korea in some ways? Or is the US and China going to be able to coordinate in any way to work together on how to curtail it? Or, or is this something that can happen independently of America and something China is, is focused on nonetheless? 
I think China's going to be a really interesting um, country to watch, especially over this year. I mean, we're only the first week of March and we've already seen them do something which people have been calling for for years, and that's to stop coal trade with North Korea. That's a huge revenue for North Korea that they've just lost. What 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 kind of level can we see from the North Korean coal trade then? Well, at the moment, North Korea exports between 34 and 40 tonnes of coal a year, and their main buyer, possibly only buyer, is China. So if China says no... Um, so it's quite China's relationship with coal in North Korea is is far too fascinating and in depth to go into in this podcast. We'll obviously, do we'll one. do a separate <laughs> coal Stay podcast. tuned for next week, kids. <laughs> anyway, as you were saying, uh, yeah. So I think I think we've already seen China um, start to take a, a move away from um, those strings it does have over North Korea. However. Um, the regime in Pyongyang is not a puppet of China. China can't click its fingers and Kim Jong-un's going to go, oh, yeah, sorry, guys. Um, and I think that's something that that's often missed when we talk about China in this scenario, that, yeah, he's whatever Beijing does and whatever Beijing says, um, yes, they have a certain amount of leverage, but it's not going to change the regime's thinking overnight by any means. So, Ellie, as our resident coal trade expert, um, why is it, do we know, that China has stopped trading with North Korea? Is, is that a power move or is it just it doesn't need coal anymore? Basically, what happened is that they have been importing coal from North Korea for some time. UN sanctions put a limit on it. But what happened is uh, they were doing it for humanitarian reasons, uh, quote unquote. Um, and that's why they were allowed to continue to import coal um, from North Korea. Um, and what they've said is that they no longer require, they've reached as, as much coal that, that, as they can import in 2017. That's six weeks into 2017 for the whole year, enough coal for the whole year, which seems unlikely to me. And it, it looks like it's a very diplomatic way of saying, no, we're going to cut ties with the coal in North Korea. Um, and we don't really, we don't really approve. They do not approve of the murder of, of King Jong-nam. They are frustrated with the missiles. Um, they're, they're actually quite angry about this. Um, and because obviously it moves South Korea and the US, into, they, they encourage them to do more military exercises. Uh, so I think this is a diplomatic way of China saying enough. And could it also be um, that China's sort of trying to reestablish its role within the global community? Because I'm thinking about that speech that Xi Jinping made, um, I think it was at Davos, right, where he, he was much more conciliatory and was speaking in a much more sort of globalist, uh, sort of world-embracing manner. So could it be that he's sort of trying to distance himself from a country that is unpopular and is a bit problematic, or is that too too much of a stretch? You look like it's too much of a stretch. <laughs> I wouldn't be 100% convinced by that. Um, I think China's very concerned about it, its region, its kind of immediate neighbouring countries. And I think it's very concerned about the US influence and presence in that region as well. Um, the more belligerent North Korea is, the stronger that US presence grows, primarily because of its alliances with Japan and South Korea. Um, I mean, the US putting nuclear weapons back in South Korea is still a long way off, but I think China's aware that that could be a step if North Korea kind of carry on down the path they're on and that's really not something China wants to see China wants to be dominant in that region um, and North Korea acting the way it is is not going to allow that kind of low US presence there So what is uh, the kind of next step then if you were Donald Trump or advising Donald Trump if that's too terrifying a thought um, <laughs> what would be the kind of next step um, for the US to take uh, to kind of uh, assist in um I guess depressurizing this this whole situation. 
That is the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> I think there are there are many things that, that the US can do, um, especially in the region. For example, scaling back military exercises. They don't need to be right on the border with North Korea. Um, you're, you're almost tempting Kim Jong-un to, to react. Um, I think that, that could be a, a really good way to start. Um, more back-channel negotiations. We saw Trump cancel the visa application for North Korean diplomats to go to, I think it was New York, um, last month, the month before, to kind of in- start engaging in those back-channels again and, and making sure they're really proactive. Um, yes, there are there are ways we can, we can be trying to stabilise the situation. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where there's no short of regime change where there's going to be no nuclear weapons in North Korea. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I, and again, um, China are concerned about that um, happening so, so close to itself. I think there is a concern um, from Beijing um, that uh, once the military exercises are carried out, then the missiles could be used by the US um, on China. Um, so I think what really needs to happen is Trump needs to reassure Xi Jinping that that's not going to happen. They do need to develop a, a greater partnership. But like you say, who knows? We'd, I'd love to advise that, but I can't. And just one final question, because earlier someone uh, mentioned the, the famous term axis of evil. And, you know, the US has, um, at the very least, um, made some sort of overtures towards Iran, which I think was also considered part of the axis of evil in, in um, having the Iran nuclear agreement. Is it a crazy idea to suggest that perhaps things would get better if we, you know, reached out to North Korea, that instead of, you know, as you say, conducting military exercises on its border and dismissing it as, quote, a crackpot regime, that if, if we tried to strike some sort of agreement with them, could that maybe be the solution? I think, so obviously, we used to have the six party talks with North Korea, um, and they, they died. I think to resume them in the current state of affairs is going to be very difficult and very unlikely. Uh, that's not to say that we could never come to some some form of agreement with North Korea. It's not likely to be um, similar in nature to the, the JCPOA, which is the nuclear deal with Iran. It's more likely going to be a freeze agreement that recognises North Korea with nuclear weapons. Um, without changing the regime, we're not going to see that situation. I think I just want to remember um, during Trump's campaign where he said, I want to share a burger with Kim Jong-un. I'm, so perhaps uh, Trump is the man to do uh, <laughs> these peaceful negotiations in, in a tactful manner for which he is known. Uh, so we can hope. With that beautiful image of uh, <laughs> global reconciliation, I think it's basically time for us to wrap up. So thanks so much to both of you for coming in. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. Um, you can catch us every week on Acast, SoundCloud and iTunes. And in between, you should definitely subscribe and like us and all of that uh, jazz. Um, in between, you can go to newsweek.com or pick up a copy of Newsweek. Thanks very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.